2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, through to chapter 6, verse 13. So, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable time I listen to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness and the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet we are not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, 
widen your hearts also. On Christmas morning, we had a broad overview of this passage that we just read, and we homed in on the topic of reconciliation, but, but there's a fair bit in this passage, and I said at the time that we're going to have to dig into it a bit more a bit later on. Well, guess what, folks? It's later on, and uh, we're digging into it a bit more today, and we're going to dig into it a bit more next week as well, and we're going to take it a little bit further next week. The trouble for us preachers is usually when we're looking at a given passage and trying to work out what we're going to preach, we have an aim to tailor that message so that it's going to be what we think is most relevant for our congregation. And that's good because we do need to personalise our messages a bit. But sometimes when we do this, we fail to, to teach what the passage is actually about. And therefore, we miss out on something that's really important that God's wanting to tell us. And I reckon this passage could be a prime example of that. There are some real gems of verses in there and some amazing theological themes that, that run through it. Uh, so we could just look at chapter 5, verse 17 as an example. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And... We could have a whole series of messages just on that one verse. And in fact, next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about that verse and, and what it means a fair bit. Or we could look at chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that's really deep. And the depth of theology there and, and what it talks about... Um, the way that we're saved and, and justification and stuff, we, we could dig into that. And if I was to tailor a message, I, I could probably come up with a few really good messages and we could learn, at least in my mind, they'd be really good. You guys might go, oh, I'm full asleep. But there's a lot that we can learn in this. But in doing so, we might completely miss what the passage is actually about. Do you know what it's actually about? Paul is defending his ministry. And we've already touched on this in previous passages. When Paul left Corinth to, to go and preach in some other places, some false apostles moved into town and they were running Paul down and they were bad-mouthing him and, and they were turning the church against him and, and they were just wanting to, I guess, take the position of authority themselves. And Paul found himself on the outer. And this whole passage is Paul defending himself. He's defending the way he conducts himself as an apostle and as a preacher. And he's defending the message that he preaches as well. And by doing this, he's not just blowing his own trumpet. He's not just saying, oh, look how good I am instead of those other blokes. I think he's actually laying down for the Corinthians and also for us something that's really important that we need to know. He's giving us a few pointers on what we should be looking for in a servant of God. Uh, what we should be looking for in a preacher or a pastor or a minister or a Bible teacher or an evangelist or whatever. Now, from time to time, 
I get asked the question, and it might surprise you how often I get asked this, it's not rare, but I get asked, how can I tell if someone's a false teacher or not? And that's an important thing for us to know. You know, we, we tend to think that false teachers are a bit of an anomaly and they're not very common, and we're certainly not somebody who would, who would ever find ourselves being led by one. But the scriptures not only warn us about false teachers over and over and over again, but in the scriptures we see examples of false teachers popping up reasonably regularly. And what Paul is doing here is he is revealing what are the attributes of a genuine teacher, but he's also squashing some commonly held misconceptions of what people think that they should be looking for in a pastor or a church or whatever. And the simple fact of the matter is sometimes we're impressed by the wrong stuff. It's as simple as that. Sometimes we're impressed by the wrong stuff. When the prophet Samuel was sent to anoint a new king for Israel, eventually he ended up anointing King David. Uh, but even this godly prophet, Samuel, was naturally drawn to the biggest, strongest, strongest, most kingly-looking warrior type. I mean, why wouldn't he be? He was looking for a king after all. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read, But Yahweh said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. Why? For Yahweh sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. And there lies the problem for us. We have a tendency to look at external appearances. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. And yet sadly, for most people, when they're choosing a church or when they're choosing a pastor or whatever, they actually make the decision based on what they see, based on external appearances. Some people are so shallow that it's actually based on the physical appeal of the person up the front. Obviously not you guys. Um, they might be looking for an entertaining speaker, perhaps, or somebody who has a good physique and isn't too bad to look at. Oh, by the way, for those who are listening to the recording, um, you can just imagine that I'm exactly that person. Uh, but if you ever get to meet me or if you look at the video, you'll be sorely disappointed. I'm not that cool looking dude. They do say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But for God, all God cares about is what's in the heart. And so I can be as ugly as I like, and you can be as ugly as you like. God cares about what's in your heart. And when it comes to picking whether somebody's a good pastor or a teacher or a preacher or whatever, that's where we've got to be looking, at the heart. What's in their heart? Chapter 5, verse 12, pretty much tells us the purpose of what Paul's writing here. He says, we are not commending ourselves to you again. And yet as we read on, it sort of seems like he is commending himself. Seems like they are blowing their own trumpet. But they're not. He says, but we're giving you cause to boast about us. Why? So that you will be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance 
and not about what is in the heart. It's like those people are saying, well, why are you listening to Paul? He's terribly unimpressive. Whereas we've got all these really impressive sorts of blokes here. Why, why aren't you listening to them? And so he's giving them tools to be able to answer them. All right, so Paul is confident that God knows that he's genuine. He tells us this in verse 11. And now he's hoping that the Corinthian church will start doing what God does, that they will start looking at Paul's heart and that they'll realise that, hey, this bloke actually is genuine. But how can that be? How can I judge a person's heart? How can you judge a person's heart? Well, obviously we can't, at least not in the same way that God does. But when it comes to whether someone is a servant of God or whether there's somebody who's probably going to lead us astray, we are told to judge. You know, a lot of people will trot out that verse, don't judge, you know, for in the same way that we judge, we'll be judged ourselves. But, but when it comes to church leaders, ministers, pastors, whatever, we are told that we have to judge. We have to be discerning. We have to be fruit inspectors is the way I like to put it. And what we're told to look out for is the fruit that that person has. Now, fruit doesn't mean productivity. Fruit is all about the content of a person's character. It's the fruit of the spirit. The content of a person's character and the content of what they teach. So, what are some of the things that we should be looking for? Well, firstly, what's their motivation? What motivated Paul? Principally, Paul and his fellow missionaries aimed to please God. That was their motivation. They feared the Lord. They were controlled by the love of Christ. They lived for Christ. They lived righteously. That's what being a new creation is about. They preached a message of reconciliation. Be reconciled. That was their message. And they preached righteousness. And in all of those things, their motivation was to please God. It wasn't about pleasing self. It wasn't about giving a message that would be pleasing to those who heard it. It was about pleasing God. And that is, after all, the role of a servant. As a servant of God, your role is to please who? God. And for me as a servant of God, my role is to please who? God. All right, so Paul wasn't in it to please people. But the thing is, what the Corinthian church thought of Paul still mattered. And it mattered a lot. If the church in Corinth didn't recognise Paul as being an apostle of Christ, they wouldn't accept his teaching. And if they didn't accept his teaching, then they would continue to be led astray by false apostles and false teachers. And that's why Paul could quite honestly say to them, we are not commending ourselves to you again. Right? His intent is to help them to learn to recognise true servants of God as opposed to false servants who are all show. 
So his motivation, even in what we might see as him defending himself, is to please God. He's pleasing God by establishing his call so that the message that he's preaching will be accepted. And we're going to talk more about the message that he preached next week when we talk about um, what it means to be a new creation because that's primarily a fair bit of his message. Right, so at this point, we're going to skip forwards now to chapter 6, verse 3. This passage, it's got several strands running right throughout the length of it. That's why we've had, got such a, a big chunk of the, message, of the Bible reading today uh, and why we're taking it over three weeks. It doesn't just have this little piece and then this little piece and this little piece. It's like three, a few strands running through this whole section. So we're going to skip forward now to chapter 6, verse 3. Paul said, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now, what's this obstacle that he's talking about? One of the greatest barriers... One of the biggest obstacles, one of the most common stumbling blocks for people to come to faith in Jesus is when ministers of God or when Christians in general behave badly. I do a little bit of IPSC pistol shooting. And for anyone who knows anything about IPSC, it's all about a combination of speed, power and accuracy. And because of this, some of the guns are amazing bits of machinery. And IPSC can be shot with a gun that you could buy secondhand for about 200 bucks, or you could have a brand new custom-built race gun that might have cost $15,000 or more. One looks old and terribly unimpressive, and the other is a high-tech work of art. But the thing is, a $200 gun that doesn't jam will beat every time, no matter how fancy it is, it'll beat at every time a $5,000 gun that hasn't been tuned correctly and, and has a habit of jamming. And somebody there knows all about this. He's seen it happen to people. I can see by the smile. Now, why am I telling you this? Some of you will get the analogy. Some of you go... What on earth is he talking about? No matter how impressive the person might seem, no matter how flash, how impressive, if the bearer of the good news behaves badly, if the bearer of the good news isn't in tune with God, then it discredits everything. It's worth nothing. It discredits the message of the gospel that discredits Christ. When the flash tele-evangelist is caught in adultery or when the church treasurer is caught in embezzlement or when the pastor of a church is loosed with the truth and tells a few untruths to make himself look better or to impress somebody about their church or when a priest is found to be an abuser of little children or when the church 
tries to cover that up and they just move him to another spot and it happens all over again. Or when a leader of a church gets involved in dodgy business deals or, or when they treat their employees poorly or, or when a Christian businessman takes advantages of others in business or, or when a person is known for their selfishness or their anger or their bitterness or their hatred, that reflects very badly on Jesus. And it reflects very badly on the gospel that's being preached. It discredits it. But Paul made sure that his behaviour and the behaviour of those that he ministered with wouldn't be a stumbling block that would keep people from Jesus. When it comes to being a servant of God, integrity means everything. He said, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now, this commending himself, he's not saying, I'm going to tell you how good I am. What he's saying is, this is the way we behaved. That was how we commended ourselves in the past. You should know this about us. And I'm going to put four little words up there on the screen and I'm going to use them as headings. By, with, through, and treated. How did they commend themselves? How could the Corinthian church tell that Paul and his missionary mates were true servants of Jesus? By their great endurance, by their purity, by knowledge, patience, kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, truthful speech, and by the power of God. Those are the attributes. That's what we should be looking for in our leaders. Let's unpack that a bit. By great endurance. In today's church, in many ways, sadly, we've become a generation of pikers. Now, for those who are listening to this recording overseas, uh, you probably don't know what a piker is. Let me fill you in on the Australian language. According to the Macquarie Dictionary, a piker is one who opts out of an arrangement or challenge or does not do his fair share. In other words, when the going gets tough, the tough goes somewhere else. Um, a piker is someone who suddenly needs to go to the toilet when the washing up begins. Now, from a few looks on a few faces there, I think we might have a few pikers here. Right. But in the Christian community, I often hear people talking about open doors and closed doors. And if the going gets a bit tough, we decide, ah, God must have closed this door to ministry and he's wanting me to move on. And we act as if this is a biblical concept. Now, do you know how many times in the New Testament the phrase is used about a door being closed to ministry? Any guesses? Zero. Not a one. The phrase is used about a door being open to ministry, but never is it the phrase used about a door being closed to ministry. 
Now, there are times when God explicitly forbid ministry from beginning in certain areas. And there's times when the going got so tough that the apostles were run out of town. But that was always a last resort. Great endurance is a characteristic of a true servant of Jesus. This is what Paul endured in. He said, we have great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger. What did it mean for Paul to endure? It meant that through all of that, he didn't give up. Paul didn't get up one morning and go, oh, 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 that beating last, last night, that was worse than normal. Maybe, maybe God might be closing the ministry here, closing the door to ministry here. Oh, and, and yeah, the whole town is rioting now because of what I've been preaching. Maybe God's closing the door to ministry. It must be time to move on. Did Paul talk like that? No. Paul had great endurance. He just kept on preaching the gospel. Next, they commended themselves by their purity. Um, another way of translating that is holiness. Some church leaders work on the principle that if they're too holy, then they won't be able to connect with people. And so you might see them in a social setting and they swear, or they drink too much, or they get into coarse joking. Now, Paul would have none of that. God's holy people are meant to be exactly that holy and not just the leaders of the church all of us we are God's holy people and we are meant to be holy and we're meant to be getting holier as we're growing in Christ we're meant to be getting holier um, one of the great sadnesses for Robin and I is um, in various times and places we've We've had friends, well, we still have friends, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, we still have friends, but we see them getting less holy. They think they're growing in Christ, but they're starting to take on more and more the ways of the world. And that's a great sadness. And especially leaders in the church should be examples of purity and holiness. We should be this in what we say, in what we do, and everything about us. Knowledge. Not much point in being a Bible teacher if I don't know the Bible, or if I don't know Christ, and if I don't know the gospel. Mind you, some of the pastors of some of the biggest churches in the world at the moment are very good communicators, and they tend to have effervescent, magnetic sorts of personalities. But some of them don't know the gospel. It's obvious that they don't know the gospel because that's not what they teach. One of the most important things to watch out for is what a teacher teaches. Is what this person teaches the truth? Or is it just what people want to hear? Or, or are they just regurgitating something that they heard some other celebrity preacher say in some other place? And because that celebrity preacher said it, oh, it must be right, so I'll say it too. But it's not biblical at all. 
the Corinthian church could tell that Paul was a minister of God because he knew Christ and because he knew the gospel. And that's what he taught. Patience, kindness. They're the fruit of the Spirit, hey? And guess what? The Holy Spirit is the next one that comes after that on Paul's list. The Corinthian church should have been able to recognise that Paul was a fair income servant of God because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how can you tell if somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it because they can display a whole heap of really elaborate, wonderful, flashy gifts? No, not so much. Because that sort of thing can be faked and the devil can mimic signs and wonders. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He is changing us to become more and more like Christ. And so patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we get impatient. and We want to see things happen on our timetable. Servants of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, are patient. The Greek word here is macrothumia. Macro meaning big, thumia meaning suffering. It's long suffering. All right, so we're not just talking about waiting an extra 40 seconds because traffic is so heavy before we can cross the road. Now, I'm talking in St George standards here, folks. Um, I think in the lead up to Christmas, it was really busy. I, I remember wanting to turn onto the main street at one stage. And I had to wait for about, I think it was eight or more cars to go by before I could turn on. And for those who are living to the city listening to this, thinking, what are they talking about? But for us, for me, that was a lesson in patience because normally it would only be one, if that. But that's not the sort of patience he's talking about. He's talking about long suffering. Servants of Christ put up with a lot. And they don't just lash out. And they're kind. It's talking about goodness, kindness, friendliness. And they're filled with genuine love. It's interesting you use the word genuine there. Um, that should be a bit of a heads up for us that not everything that we perceive as love is genuine at all. The Greek word there for genuine is anupokrito. It means not play acting. Paul didn't just pretend. Paul didn't just act as if he was loving. Paul genuinely loved those people in Corinth. I think that's why it broke his heart so much when they turned against him. And I've met some leaders of churches who who could make you feel like you were the most important person in the whole wide world. They could do it in about three minutes. But it was all an act. They didn't genuinely love the people, they just learned the art of flattery. And we're not talking about the art of flattery here. We're talking about genuine love. And genuine love doesn't only tell you what you want to hear. 
Genuine love won't always tell you what's going to make you feel good about yourself. Genuine love tells you the truth, no matter how hard it is to hear. Which brings us to truthful speech. You'd think this one should be an obvious attribute of a servant of God. And I know that I have many faults and I suspect some of you would be very happy to fill me in on those faults, but I hope that it would always be said of me that he doesn't lie. If you see me being caught in a lie, can anything I say ever be trusted? I believe particularly for a pastor of a church, but for all of us. Truth is, it means everything. We need to be people of our word. And what we say has to be the truth all the time. Sadly, in my experience, it's not uncommon, even for leaders of churches, to be loose with the truth. They mightn't be big lies. And they, it might just be what they feel is a harmless misrepresentation or a bit of an exaggeration of the way things really are. A little white lie, perhaps. And of course, another name for a little white lie is a dirty, great big lie. And a true servant of God must always be truthful in their speech. Anything else destroys credibility. And the credibility of the gospel is what's at stake. The power of God. The success of the gospel shouldn't, and the growth of a church of Christ, shouldn't be dependent upon slick shows, hip marketing, or positive spin. The success of the gospel comes through the power of God. And if there's anything good, anything good that happens out of this ministry here of Bush Disciples, um, I believe it has to be coming from the power of God. We know it comes from the power of God. It's not because we're slick, and you know that it's not because your pastor's so wonderful. It's by the power of God. So that's by. That's how they should tell that he is a true servant of God, is by those things. Next he comes the heading with. How did Paul manage to do what he did? Was this bloke superhuman or what? How did he manage to have this great endurance, to have this purity or holiness, this knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, uh, genuine love, truthful speech and the power of God? How? When Satan is doing his darndest to try and bring about the downfall of the men and women of God, how did Paul manage to maintain this level of integrity? He did it with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. We're not on our own. You might be struggling going, how can I... 
continue to live as a person of integrity, right? This is a pretty tall order. Sometimes I'm really tempted to not be the person who always tells the truth. Sometimes I'm really tempted to do these other things. How can we continue to be people of integrity? We can do it with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. True servants of God do not resort to underhanded ways or to the tactics of the world. We have these weapons. In Ephesians chapter 6, we can read about the armour of God, truth, righteousness, readiness, faith, salvation, the word of God and prayer. Those are our weapons of righteousness. You want to maintain your integrity? Stick with those things. But even so, the road travelled by a true servant of God is not an easy one. And you know it's not an easy one. The next heading is through. Through honour and dishonour. Through slander and praise. Sometimes a servant of God will be honoured. But other times they'll cop it. Cop it hard. Sometimes they'll be praised and other times they'll get slandered. And sometimes you might even hear of a servant of God getting slandered and you hear that slander and you might believe it, even though it's not true. And sometimes a false teacher gets the honour and gets praised and they become more and more popular and get a greater following while true faithful servants of God are slandered. And Paul knew that very well. He was living this. There it was at the church at Corinth, those false apostles. They were the ones who were getting honour. And Paul was the one who was getting slandered. Which brings us to our next heading. Treated. Servants of God don't always get treated how they're supposed to. Paul and his mates had been treated even by people in the church as imposters. But they weren't imposters at all. They were the real deal. They'd been treated as being unknown. Who is this Paul bloke? Why would you listen to him? But they should have known Paul. Paul was the one who took the gospel to them. He had lived with them. And here they are, they're turning against him. And of course he is known by God. He was treated as if he was dying. But look, we live as punished, but we're not killed. Treated as sorrowful, but we're still rejoicing. Treated as poor, yet making many rich. Of course, the rich we're talking about is, is making them spiritually rich. And treated as if they have nothing, but they had everything they ever wanted. The kingdom of God. The thing is, true servants of God are a bit of an enigma. What you see isn't always the way things are. 
A true servant of God may be copying abuse and getting slandered while the false teacher is the one who gets highly honoured. And I think what Paul is teaching us here today is that sometimes we get impressed by the wrong stuff. And that's what we need to be aware of. Sometimes we get impressed by the wrong stuff. The attributes of a genuine servant of God stem from the heart. Don't look at outward appearances. They're easily manipulated. And don't look at popularity. Look at the heart. And we'll hear people boasting about their pastor or about some particular celebrity preacher or about some famous author. My advice is always be discerning. Dig into the boast. All right, so what is the boast about? And don't be impressed by the wrong stuff. We need to be motivated by a love of Christ and be impressed by the same stuff that impresses God. And for us, that should be the aim for our lives. Don't think, oh, people are impressed by this sort of stuff, so that's the sort of image that I'm going to try and portray. Forget about the image. Be the person that God is creating you to be. Live with the integrity that God has made you the new creation to be. And that's what we're going to talk about next week as we talk more about being this new creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift of reconciliation. Lord, we want to thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself and that you reconcile us to others. And Lord, we want to thank you that this reconciliation isn't just a stay the same as you are sort of a thing. We want to thank you that you make us into new creations, new creations of integrity and honour. And Lord, we want to thank you for the godly men and women that that you call into leadership in, in your church right across this world. Lord, we thank you for, for these people who, who endure for the sake of the gospel and who live lives of integrity that the, that the word may not be discredited. But Lord, we, we confess to you that sometimes we can be people who value the wrong stuff. And sometimes we can be just as caught up as anybody else in the world and look at external appearances and look at the flash, flashiness and, and not actually look at the heart and not actually look at the fruit of the Spirit, at the content of the character or the content of the message. And God, we ask that you would forgive us for this. Lord, help us to be a people who are discerning, that we would always recognise genuine servants of Christ. Help us to support them wherever they may be as they endure and take the gospel out into the world. 
And Lord, you may be calling us, or you are, you are calling us here as your servants. We are all your servants. We just have different ways of serving. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be those servants who endure with integrity. Help us to make our aim the same as the aim that Paul has, the aim to please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.